Good morning, Real Life Church. I'd like to pretend that ordinarily it's much slicker than this, but honestly, this is how it usually is. So, uh, sorry. Um, if we have not met yet, my name's Melanie. Um, I'm married to Stuart, and together we look after this beautiful thing we call Real Life Church. It's my absolute pleasure to talk to you this morning. If you've got a Bible, you will need it. If you don't, I'm going to read it to you anyway, but if you have one with you on your phone or if you're old school like me and you bought your Bible, um, then you can turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6. I'm going to read little bits and pieces from the book of Acts. Um, in my time with Jesus, I've been in the book of Acts, so that's what I'm reading at the moment. If you were curious about what I'm doing in my personal walk with Jesus, I am reading the book of Acts. And generally how I read the Bible is I read through it pretty swiftly, a book in the Bible in one version. So I read through it in the English Standard Version, just read through it really swiftly. I then read through it slowly in the New Living Translation and just make notes. I then read through it again pretty swiftly in the message. So I'm currently in the message reading through it. I read it in different versions just to get kind of different feels for it. And I know sometimes God just says different things through different interpretations. But I also like to get totally soaked in a book. And so I've been totally soaking myself in this book. But a particular character in the book, I just can't get past. And I've read the book of Acts loads of times. It's one of my favorites. And um, I just can't get past Stephen at the moment. And I just, I find myself going back to his story again and again. I find myself thinking about it during the day, just being mindful of what it was like for him to be a follower of the way, what it was like, the choices he had to make, the, the things that he did with his life, and the things we don't know about him and the things we do know about him. So I've just been, I've just been camping out, really, around with Stephen and just been really allowing the story to just affect my life and change my life and speak to me. I've had so many moments where I've just thought, man, would I be prepared to die for this? And it's a kind of morbid thing thought, but I just thought, would I be prepared to stand there before people living by this truth in a way that literally cost me my life? Would I be prepared for that? And it's, it's just really got, gotten a good hold of me. So before we get into the story, if you are a Stephen or a Steve, or your surname is Stevens, or it's your middle name, would you just stand for me, please? So I'm fairly sure there's one. Um, Anyone else? A Stephanie, a Stefan. Anything that's got Steve, Steve, Stephen? No, I actually love that it's just you. Um, because I, I felt when I was preparing that God just really wanted to speak to Stephen's today. And I, and I felt two things. The thing about Stephen is that he was a servant first. So he bowed down low and he... He was a servant. He waited tables. There was something about Stephen that loved to graft and get on with what needed doing. And it, it struck me when I went through the address list, I thought, I think we've only got one Stephen. And actually, it struck me when I was thinking about you. I was thinking, actually, you embody that. You, you serve and you come down low and you get on with the grubby jobs, with, uh, with whatever needs doing. It struck me that actually you live with that heart all the time. That's how you function. That's how you 
that's how you flourish. That's, that's what you do. And, and I watch you sometimes and I think it feels like nothing is too low. Like you're quite happy to grab the bin bags at the end and to muck in with the setup and do whatever it takes. But I've watched you as a daddy as well. And I think there's something about you that's just like that, that you're happy to have a go at it all. But I wanted to stir you because Stephen was also a man who moved in incredible power. And I think because he came down low, he accessed the heart of Jesus in ways that, that were mind-blowing. So he prayed for the sick and saw them healed. He spoke words that were powerful and mighty. And I wanted to stir you, Stephen, to be both to bow down low and to serve and graft, but to also move in authority and power, to also access the things of God where you might lay hands on the sick and see them healed and not see those things as something for someone else, not see them as something for the, the mega Christian or the ones who read their Bibles more or preach more, but to see it as something that servants do. So I just want to pray for you if that's all right. I want to pray that God would bless you and watch over you and keep you. I want to pray that as you serve him, as you come down low, that he would lift you and he would give you access to the things that are his. See, servants get access to the things that belong to the master. These things belong to the master. And so I pray that you would have access to praying for the sick and sealing them healed, but also speaking words of authority and words of power. And all God's people say, amen, amen. amen. If you're listening online and you're a Stephen, a Stephanie, or a Stefan, or your surname is Stephens, you can claim all of that for yourself too. So the book of Acts, chapter 6. I'm going to read a chunky bit, and then I'm just going to pull out a few bits and pieces. The way I work, so I don't think of myself as an expository preacher. If you're here for the first time, um, I, I move prophetically. I tend to hear things in God, see things in God, and share those things. So sometimes my preaching might feel a little bit like where we go in here and then suddenly we land. I, I kind of feel like I almost want to apologize for that, but I'm not. So that is just how I'm wired up what I'm like. So if you feel like, where are we going? Where are we going? Oh, okay, that's where we're going. That's generally how this works. And I may stop from time to time and just prophesy a bit or pray for certain people. That, that's just how it works for me. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there was rumbling of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. I love that. In an atmosphere of Quite frankly, what must have been revival, we've got grumbling amongst the church of people going, well, I don't really like the coffee you're serving over there, and I'm not really sure the kids' work is up to scratch, and what happened there? I, I just love that. I just think, isn't that really real? Um, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So there wasn't enough food, they weren't getting enough, they were getting too much, they were eating too much, they were not being given enough. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. This also gives me courage because I do spend some of my time as a leader dealing with milk jugs, tea and coffee, biscuits, things, things that seemingly you might think, oh, why would you occupy yourself with that? I like to look at stuff like this and think, well, if it was good enough for the apostles, then it's good enough for me. So the 12 called a meeting of all of the believers and said this, we apostles should be spending our time teaching the word, not running a food program. 
And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we as apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everybody liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, mm, I'm going to call him Nick. Nick, Timon, Palmer, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The numbers of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some of the men from the synagogue of free slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke." So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face had become as bright as an angel. And then if you skip forward to Acts 7, 51 to 59, this is Stephen speaking. He says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed the ones predicted, who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, who you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hand of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily to heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the place of honor at God's right hand and he told them, look, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city. They began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them down at the feet of a young man who was named Saul, who later would we would know as Paul, and they stoned him. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. See, nothing is known about the personal life of Stephen. We don't know who his parents are. We don't know if he had any siblings, brothers and sisters. We don't know if he had a wife or children. We know from chapter 6 in the book of Acts that he was a Hellenist, which is a foreign-born Jew who spoke Greek. So we know, we know that about him. We know that he lived in Jerusalem and we know that he became a Christian. That is it. They would have at the time been called followers of the way. So he was a follower of the way. He was 
a foreign-born Jew who spoke Greek and he lived in Jerusalem. That is all we know about Stephen. The name Stephen in the Greek means a crown or a wreath or encircled or surrounded. I think when I read that online, that his name means surrounded, I was like, that's it. That's how Stephen lived, surrounded by him. So he wasn't surrounded by an angry mob at his death. He wasn't surrounded by the high priests and the elders when he spoke out the truth of God. He was surrounded by Jesus. Stephen lived surrounded, wrapped up, caught up in Jesus and his purposes. I feel like his story communicates to us what we know about Stephen is the most important things. So we don't know what job he did. We don't know where he lived. We don't know who his family were. We don't know whether he was married, single, divorced. We don't, we don't know any of that stuff. We don't know if he had children. What we know about Stephen is he lived surrounded, that he was his namesake, that he lived surrounded by Jesus. And I just want to pull out three things this morning to stir us to live surrounded, to stir us to live surrounded, wrapped up, caught up in him. That no matter what our life looks like, whether we're married, single, divorced, whether we've got kids, no kids, whether we've got a job that brings in loads of income or very little, whether we work, don't work, whatever, whether we live in the big house, the small house and everything in between, that actually we live surrounded. What is known about us at the end of our lives is that we were surrounded by him, is that we were surrounded by Jesus. What people would say about us is actually our faces shone with the very presence of an almighty God. What would be talked about us would be those things. And so I just want to pull out three things. I want to pull out that he was surrounded by Jesus, that he was surrounded by truth, and he was surrounded by heaven. And I want to stir us to live like that. Live surrounded by him, surrounded by truth, and surrounded by heaven. If you're making notes and you write those three things down, you'll be pretty much done, although I'm obviously going to unpack them. So number one, living surrounded by him. This is my favorite point, so it's going to be longer than all the rest. Because to live surrounded by Jesus, oh, oh I just, oh, just amazing. So I'm going to read a couple of verses just to help us from what I've already read. It said, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers and said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the spirit of God and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everybody liked his ideas, so they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And then in Verse 8, it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles, signs, and wonders. To live surrounded by him means that we need to meet him. We need to have real encounters with Jesus. We need to truly know him, truly come face to face with him. It's not enough to say I know things about him or my mum and dad knew him or I grew up in a house that knew him. To be surrounded by him, we must ourselves have encounters with Jesus that change us that, that, that mean we are wrapped up in someone, in, in something. 
Stephen is well-respected, a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He's surrounded by him, but because he's surrounded by him, he starts to look like him. So Jesus was a man who was full of the Spirit, grew in stature and grew in wisdom. There are so many little parallels between what Stephen is like and what Jesus is like. To live surrounded by Jesus means we start to look like him. We're not just followers of the way. Their name later in the book of Acts got changed to Christians. They were little Christ. I think that's a really important change. So they went from being followers of the way, following what he did, to being little Christ, to being like him, to mimicking him, to being mini-me's, to being like him on the earth. To be surrounded by Jesus means we're like him. We start to look like him. Our lives start to alter in ways that are like him. And not because we're about behavioral management, but because we've encountered him, because something about him is consuming us and it alters the way we live. So not because we stand up and say, well, you should do this, this, and this, but because we truly meet him we become like him because daily we meet him, we become like him. So to live surrounded means that we are like him. Even at death, Stephen cries out, Father, receive my spirit. Who does that sound like? That is almost literally what Jesus cries out on the cross. At his point of death, he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, forgive them, receive my spirit. He's a little Christ. He's becoming like him because he's living surrounded by him in his life and in his death. I love in the book of Acts the qualities or the qualifications for being a servant, for waiting tables. I, I was thinking about it. I've been so stirred about it, thinking they are qualifications. So they wanted people to distribute food to the widows and what they did was they said, let's pick our best men. Let's pick the men who are so full of the Spirit. Let's pick the men who are so full of wisdom, so full of grace. Let's find the men who move in signs and wonders. Let's ask them to wait the tables. And I, that has got me because I don't know if that's necessarily how we function I don't know sometimes if we see some of those tasks as more menial, lower entry, easy enough for people to do, you know, whether or not they're really full of the Spirit or kind of who cares? The kingdom looks completely different. When we're wrapped up in Jesus, surrounded by Jesus, even what we value and how we value looks completely different. Even the people that we ask to do things looks completely different. Our criteria should look different because we're, we're surrounded by him. You see, waiting tables coming down low, who does that sound like? Who lays a table for us in front of our enemies? Who sets out a bread and wine meal at a table? Who grabs a bowl and washes feet? Who comes down low in order to be raised up so high? Who's that? That's Jesus. That's exactly what he's like. The lowest in the kingdom of God get access to the highest, 
to the highest of places when we're like him and we come down low. When we spread out a table, when we feed the poor, when we welcome the outcast, when we handle sinners, when we're in amongst people. When we serve, we access the master's stuff. It's the way of the kingdom of God. It is not the way of our culture. It is not the way of our world. It is the way of the kingdom. And when we're wrapped in him, when we're surrounded by him, when we look like him, that's what we're like. So we honor service. We honor servants. We celebrate those who come down low. We make sure the poor are fed. We make sure there's food at our table. We make sure we're hospitable. Why? Because we are little Christs. We mimic him, represent him. We are his on the earth, outworking all his stuff. And yeah, we get to pray for the sick, speak with words of authority. Because those in the kingdom who come down low access the master's stuff. And that is the master's stuff. He brilliantly combined coming down low, standing up and raising, hand, ra- raising the dead, laying his hands on lepers, touching women with issues of blood for years and years and saying, be healed. But he did both. He didn't become this superstar Christian who suddenly was too good to serve Because now I have a platform, now I have a stage, now I've been raised up, I can't possibly come down low. Jesus just wasn't like that, even at the point of death. What's he doing? He's going so low down, he's tackling death and sin. He's going to the lowest of places for the lowest of people. And then what does God do? Raise him up so high that there'll never be a name that is above his name. That there'll never be a person that will not bow the knee when he returns again. See, that's how the kingdom works. That's how it works when we're wrapped in him. The lowest access, the highest. We are called, I believe, to be little Christ on the earth. To make sure there's room at our tables. To make sure we prepare a table in front of our enemies. To make sure that we wash people's feet. We feed the poor. Why? Because he was like that. Because his kingdom is like that. It's why for me, I, I, I feel like I love that we're growing. I love that we are, we're getting larger. We're getting more influential. I will never forget that we need to make sure we're taking care of people. I will never forget that we have a mandate on our lives to care for the poor. Because I am first a servant with access to all the master's stuff. And because in this wild, upside-down kingdom, I am a servant who is also a daughter, I get get to access it all because I come down low, because I serve, because I'm like him, because I touch his heart, because I access his stuff. So to live surrounded by him means that we are this amazing blend of servants with access to the master's stuff. That we come down low and he raises us up high. 
We don't need to worry in one respect about our status, our standing. Our, he, he deals with all of that. If you're supposed to be standing somewhere, doing something, having influence, he's got that. But he's got that generally because we're on our knees, coming down low, serving the purposes of God in our place, doing whatever it takes to bring his kingdom in, doing whatever it takes to allow the Son of God to come in and invade every space that we're a part of. Living a surrounded life means that we are servants first and we allow God to raise us up to the highest of places. Secondly, so being a servant means, uh, being surrounded means we live a life found in the truth. So verse 10 says this, none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. And then in 51, 52, it says this, you stubborn people, this is Stephen talking, you are heathens at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. Surrounded by truth, surrounded by his words, surrounded by his story, that's how Stephen lived. He lived wrapped up in the story that God was telling, not his own story. And you can see that at the end of his life. You can see at the end of Stephen's life that he is not caught up in his own story. He's not caught up in the, what about my story? What about my life? What about what I was going to do? What I was going to tell? What I was going to say? What I was going to have? You can tell that Stephen did not live like that. That he lived saying, this is your story and I am a player in the story. I play a part in the story and I willingly play my part. I think in order to do that, we have to know this story. We have to be wrapped up in it, caught up in it which I know we bang on about all the time from the stage here. Read your Bibles, read your Bibles, read your Bibles, read your Bibles, do it daily, read your Bibles. It's because we know that if you are caught up in this story, your life will count for so much more. It's because we know if you're caught up in this story, you will be able to face anything life throws at you because this story is bigger, better, full of truth, incredible, life-giving beautiful, transforming. It is the best story you will ever lay your hands on. It is why in certain countries in the world, this, this story is not allowed to be. It's why it's smuggled in. It's, it is so precious. It is so beautiful. It sometimes is a little bit tricky to read. It sometimes in our daily life is, is hard to try and work out where to fit in, but it is an incredible story. And when our lives are surrounded by this story, we have the right perspective. We recognize that we are part of a story, that the story is not me. I am not the hero of the story, the main player in the story. He is the Bible's abundantly clear who the hero of the story is. And in, sometimes in my life, in my world, I like to think it's me. Oh my gosh, it is not. The hero of the story is him. The one it's all about, the one it's pointing towards, the one that we're supposed to point people to is him. The truth about who we are as people is in here. You will not find better self-worth stuff than what you will find in this book. 
It will tell you exactly who you are standing before God. It won't waver from it. It won't bend itself to current trends or current illnesses. Or It will literally tell you who you are before your God. You get to choose whether you believe it or not, but it will tell you who you are. It will tell you what God thinks about you. It will tell you your need for a saviour. Your great need to be known by the God who made you. It will tell you where you will end up in your eternal destination. It will tell you how you should live. It will tell you your value. It will tell you who you are when Jesus looks at you. It will tell you who you are when you're wrapped up in him. If we read this book and believe this book, if we are surrounded by him, we are altered. And we are altered in ways that means we probably would lay our very life down for it. It won't shift with culture. It won't change. Because, you know, the latest thing has come out. The newest thing has come out. It will not shift. It will remain true. It will remain faithful. It will remain a voice that speaks out into the darkness and brings light. It will remain the very weapon in your hand that will take down strongholds that will tear down strongholds culturally, but also personally. It is the very thing that when we stray from it, we know stuff goes wrong. When we stick to it, when we read it, when we believe it, when we allow it to change us, when we're in it, when we have it up around our homes, when we write it down and put it in our pockets, when we carry it around, it carries us. It helps us to speak up, speak out, It helps us to get it right. So Jesus spoke the truth always, but he blended it with this crazy love for people. And for some of us, that's the thing that we need to learn, not how to bend the word to make it culturally relevant. We need to work out how we communicate it in a way that can be heard, where we don't stray from the truth of what it says about marriage what it says about sex, what it says about race, what it says about the poor, what it says about the widows, that we don't stray from those things, but we work out in our culture how to say it. We work out how to say it in ways that people will hear. We work out how to communicate such beautiful, life-giving truth in a way that doesn't strangle, hold down, pull back. We work out ways to communicate this book, but we don't change this book. We are wrapped in it, surrounded by it. We alter. It it does not. And I want to ask you, are you reading it daily? Are you committing it to memory, living with it, having it run around your head, having it run around your heart, having it run around in your pocket with you, remembering it? And are you doing something with it? Are you reading it and then going, okay, my life has to look different. (laughs) If Jesus says this about me, I've got to line myself up with it. I can't keep reading that I'm a daughter, that I'm loved, that I'm known, and then say, well, no one loves me. I've got to actually read it and go, my goodness, I am so loved. I can't read what it says about healing and then suggest to people that, oh, sorry, um, it it didn't work out at the doctor's for you. Um, Okay, I can't be like that. Because if I read the word, if I'm surrounded by the word, I've got to pray for the sick. 
I've got to line up with it. If I'm surrounded by it, I've got to line up with it. I can't sit comfortably with the divorce rate going off the charts and think, well, it's okay for me to give up on my marriage. I can't, I can't sit like that because I'm surrounded by his word and his word says something completely different. I'm not surrounded by culture. I'm not surrounded by the, the latest leading arguments in, in politics, in government, in, in the church even. I am surrounded by him. I am surrounded by his word. And I have to keep going back there. I have to keep coming up against it and going, okay, this is what you say. How do we work that out? Stephen came up against it and just kept saying, this is what the word says. This is who the Christ is. I can't bend on that. He did die on a cross. He did die in our place for all our sin. There is a place called hell and there is a place called heaven. I can't bend on it because it's not very palatable. I get that it's not palatable. It's why I'm going to heaven. We've got to be able to communicate truth. But we first got to be wrapped up in it. We first got to know it, get into the big story, the little stories, find our place in it, work out where I fit, work out what I believe. Not Google what I believe on something, get into the word and go, what do I actually believe about marriage? What do I believe about sexuality? What do I believe about identity? We've got to find it in here and then we've got to work out how on earth do we communicate this? So Jesus was a man of the word. He's called the word. Stephen was a man of the word. He was someone who, who relied on it, spoke it, and was committed to truth. A surrounded life is one that is found in him and is found in the word. Daily, committing it to memory and doing something with it. Lastly, number three, I'm going to read verse 15. 55 to 59. 15, yeah. So at this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face had become as bright as an angel. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, this is 55, gazed steadily up into... I find this, like, this bit hard to read because it's just, it's just mind-blowing, really. But Stephen, full of the Spirit, gazed steadily up into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And he saw... And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and I see the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. His accusers took off their coat like they just couldn't bear to hear it. They laid them at the feet of the young man named Saul, who later becomes Paul. Again, I don't want us to miss this. So like the man standing there who's condoning everything that's going on later becomes Paul, who, who really like, is, is a, an amazing follower of the way. And they stoned him. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. We need to live our lives surrounded by heaven, to live our lives like, like head up. We need to live our lives focused on that not this. So this is temporary. All this stuff will go. What remains, what stays, is this. What remains is my relationship with him, who I see, who I get my eyes on. What, what, what does not turn to dust and, and rust and spoil and wither away are people. 
You can really narrow it down in the kingdom. What matters is God and what matters is people. What matters is that I know him, that I've had my sins forgiven, that I can stand before him wrapped up in Christ, hidden in Christ, that when I meet him face to face, he says, I know you because I'm wrapped up in him, I'm caught up in him, I've been forgiven, I'm loved, I'm known, and I can walk straight in. What I bring with me into that place are people, and that is it. What we take from this life into the next is people. That's it. And when we have our eyes lifted and we're about heaven, when we bring our eyes back down to ground, we live differently. And Stephen's prepared to die for it. I'm not suggesting. I, because I felt so arrested by this story, I spent a couple of nights just saying to God, God, I, like, as much as I love the story, and I really don't want that ending for me, please. Um, and so I, I'm not suggesting that that's what the story is about for us, that suddenly we've all got to say, well, I'm prepared to die and I'll, I'll be a martyr for my faith. What I'm suggesting is Stephen lived his life with his eyes looking at his saviour. He lived it looking at heaven, seeing heaven, having a face shining like an angel as if he inhabited heaven. I kept reading that thinking, why did his face look like an angel? And then I thought, angels inhabit heaven. It's where they live. And they live in worship. They live in praise to him who sits on the throne. His face shone like an angel because he looked like someone who inhabited heaven. It's why we worship and it's why we'll always worship. Because when we worship, we lift our eyes. It's why songs about me in worship, I just, I just found hard if I'm being completely honest. Because what I really want to do is I want to see him. Because then I know everything around me looks different. I know that I'm altered when I see him. I know that I'm not altered when I see me. This morning I looked in the mirror, you know, got here and thought, man, I think my hair took a bit of a hit with the wind. That is the biggest casualty for me in this storm, is my hair took a bit of a hit. And, and so, you know, when I look in the mirror, what I see is me. And, and my strengths and my weaknesses, my limitations, all of that, it, it, to be honest, it's not inspiring enough to go out and change the world. When I look at him, when I worship him, when I gaze on him, when I speak truth about him, that's enough. That's enough to walk out of a place changed. That's for me. When I go to life group, I want to, in some way, shape or form, spend time with God's people, eat something and meet him. I want to leave feeling like, well, that was worth getting out of the door. I want to, in worship, I want to leave a place knowing that I've somehow encountered him, that I've somehow seen him, that somehow my face is shining like an angel because I've somehow touched heaven and all its priorities and all its, what it cares about. And what heaven cares about is the worship of the Saviour. What all heaven is, is buzzing with activity for is, is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What they're all busy doing is laying their crowns down and going, how, how can we lift him up? How can we worship him? How can we love him? How can we adore him? What can we sing? What can we say? They're not preoccupied with, do I like this song? 
Did they just get that key wrong? Ah, oh, I'm not keen on those words. They're not preoccupied with that. They're saying, where's the saviour? How do I see him? How do I know him? What do I do? Where, where can I put my crown? How can I get down low? How can I get up high? I feel like that in worship sometimes. I don't know where to go. I sometimes think, I, I want to get down here, but I, I want to be up here. And Because really, my priority in worship is to see something of heaven, to see something of him. And the songs are, are helpful if it's one I like or don't like, you know, helpful, unhelpful, okay. But what I really want to do is I want to see him. I really want to feast my eyes on him. I really want to get heaven's perspective so that I can go out from this place and live differently. I want to do this every day. I want to teach my kids to do it because I know if they look at Jesus if they're surrounded by him, if they're caught up in him, I know that they'll serve. I know that they'll get down low because that's what he's like. I know that they'll worship. I know that they'll be prepared to lay their lives down because he's worth it all, isn't he? He's worth everything. But I've got to see him. I've got to know him. I've got to get a handle on it. I can't just be someone who who talks about him, I've got to have real encounter, and not last year's ones, I've got to have today's. Because it's real out there, what Gemma was sharing from the Youth Culture Conference, they're not just issues that young people face, they're issues we face. They're issues that we face over race, sexuality, identity, marital breakdown, family breakdown. They're all our issues in our society on our watch. And we've got to get Jesus We've got to get a vision of him. We've got to get in his truth. We've got to get a perspective on heaven where we are radically altered and changed. So I'm going to unashamedly do two things now. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you in this moment to commit yourself to living a life surrounded by him. You can come up, worship team. That would be lovely. Thanks. I want to ask you just to hold out your hands and just commit again your life to Jesus. If you do not know Jesus, this is easy to do for the first time. You just say to Jesus, I love you. I'm aware that you died in my place for all my sin and I am sorry for my sin. I, like, there are no excuses. I have willingly disobeyed you over and over again but I want to live for you I want to love you I want to go your way I want to be a follower of the way I want to be a mini Christ and you can do that in your seats where you are you can come and chat to me and I will happily help you do that and the rest of you can just commit yourselves to Jesus now saying I want to follow you I want to be surrounded by you I want to be caught up in you I want your story to be my story I want to find my place in your story. I want to tell the truth. I want to live surrounded. I want to worship. I want to get a hold of heaven and I want it to affect the places where I tread. I want to get down low and serve like you serve Jesus. I'm going to give you a moment just to talk to him.
And then I want to just get very practical. I want to say to you, if you are not in a life group, get in one. Get yourself in a community where people can help you live surrounded by him. If church for you is is something you turn up to occasionally, I want to say get yourself in a local church. Be committed. Help yourself be surrounded by him. I want to say to you, come to church at prayer. And I want to say that not because we want to tick your name off and make sure we've got numbers, but you get to spend uninterrupted time with Jesus and call on him for the things of heaven. You literally get to spend two hours changing the place where you stand. And I want to tell you to be there because it is for your good and for your benefit, but it is also for the benefit of the kingdom of God. And your life should be about him. Your life should be hid with Christ on high, but your life should be ordered so that his, what he cares about is what you care about. And sometimes prayer is the way that we do that. We connect up with his heart. We call on the things that he loves, that he cares about, that he wants for the earth. And we say, let it be done here on earth as in heaven. So I want to say, get in church, get in a life group and get yourself to church of prayer. Be surrounded by him. Live surrounded by him. Be little Christ. And if you want to, be mini Stevens. Amen.